I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. We're two whiskey pals serving a weekly whiskey podcast and rocking your whiskey world. Exploring the whiskies and distilleries of the world and meeting amazing people along the way. We'll be sticking our noses into our jams and all things whiskey. So fill your whiskey glass and join the fun. You're listening to Whiskey Sisters. Last week, we promised you some chat about Lowland whiskies. So how low can we go, Inca? We will be talking about all things Lowland and sampling King's Barns. But before we do any sampling, let's stick our noses into the latest whisky news. Stick your nose in it. A whisky brand has enlisted the help of a Scottish piper and whistle player to enhance the flavour of its drink. Ali Levac, a musician from Dingwall, a small town in the north of Scotland, has been playing the tin whistle to the casks of Wee Smokey's new limited edition whisky. The concept of sonic aging comes from the technique of aging whisky at sea, where vibrations from the movement of water to oak casks increase contact between the liquid and the wood, and that speeds up the aging process. That's what they do. They still do that with certain types of aquavit that they oh, send cool. the, the casks to to the sea. Out to sea. Oh my goodness, magical. In recent years, as you may if you've listened to our podcast before, in particular the Blackened American Whiskey episode, you might have heard us speak about this before, but in recent years the concept has been adapted by distilleries mostly in the US which emulate these vibrations through sound. The musical notes pulsate through the barrel. This causes the alcohol molecule to move away from the sound wave, hitting the wall of the barrel, sliding upwards until it loses momentum, and then falling. The process, which repeats as the music plays, is thought to accelerate the interaction between the alcohol and the wood of the casks. I do love this concept, but I'm wondering if this guy is literally just standing there in the warehouse playing his music or whether it's been recorded and, you know, like with Blackened when they just have speakers and they play the music. Yeah, because with Blackened, it's Metallica. So it's like super heavy and big, you know, that's a big sound, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas like a guy in his chanter or pipes, pipes can be a big sound, but it's a it's you know, in terms of how that sounds dispersed, I'm kind of intrigued by it. I think it's a romantic story for sure, like having a piper pipe into your drums. But what's the whistle? Piper and so the whistle. The tin whistle, like when I grew up on the Isle of Mull, like you would have a little tin whistle if you were going to go on to play the pipes and it's called the chanter mm-hmm. and it's like a little it's like a recorder but it's okay. like a made of tin and you would practice on that and then work your way up to the bagpipes but feel um. free to correct me listeners if I'm talking nonsense <laughs> but that's my understanding oh that's quite interesting and I don't think we can move forward without mentioning it's wee smoky I know <laughs> I feel slightly guilty but also we have to keep it real. We sampled Wee Smokey before. We didn't like it. Whiskey Bitches were on tour. However, it was a whiskey that was intended for use in cocktails and we were sampling it straight. So I feel like slightly got to give Wee Smokey some, yeah. give it a chance. Give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what kind of casks they're using this time and all that. But yeah, mixed reviews. United Airlines passenger has claimed that a bottle of expensive whiskey he packed 
in his checked luggage, arrived to open it with dirt gone. <laughs> oh. I know, it's funny. Christopher Ampler shared a picture of Glenmorangie, a tale of cake, Highland single malt, currently retails just under £450 on Amazon. Whoa, so he wrote, that is a pricey bottle. I know, exactly. When I saw the picture at first and I was thinking, what? Like, you know, expensive whiskey. Like, mm-hmm. it's been a little bit expensive, but it's never been that. But obviously, mm-hmm. it's kind of a collector's item, yeah. maybe. So, yeah, he wrote on Twitter that the seal had clearly been opened and a third of the content has been <laughs> had been gone and there was no leakage. So, literally, someone's opened it and drank it. So maybe oh. the package handlers at the airport. <laughs> that is cheeky behaviour, isn't it? I mean, we know there's some evaporation with angel share, but hardly. I think there's yeah. been. I think that's maybe the devil share. <laughs> exactly. Do you think the guy is just chancing it and he actually forgot that he drank some of it already? <laughs> <laughs> or, or did they actually? I summon? guess if he's gone public and he's showing like the seal, oh, the seal clearly opened. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he could have done. It might just have a bit of um, drama induced amnesia. You never know. Oh, I have some news that I forgot to share. Oh, <gasps> share it, Inca, share it. So, I've kind of started a women's whiskey club in Florence. How could we have forgotten to report this, like, huge news? I know, but it's been very slow. Like, it's, you know, slow start. But basically, if you are ever in Florence or if you live in Florence or you're just visiting, go to the Meetup app and find Florence Women's Whiskey Club and join our group and then you will find out about all these different events that I will be hosting or taking us around different tastings, different bars, whiskey bars. You know, sometimes we might be having whiskey cocktails. I don't know. We'll see. What an amazing opportunity for people that maybe enjoy a jam and maybe some of their friends don't. They want to expand their knowledge or people that are, you know, whiskey curious. What an amazing opportunity. Lucky people. I was going to say lucky Florencians, but I don't think that's a word, is it? (laughs) No, Florentines. Yeah, lucky Florentines. That's amazing, Inca. And will you be sharing some information about it on your social media platforms as well as the meetup? Yeah, I will definitely once everything is kind of up and running. So the first event will be 6th of July, which is obviously tomorrow. So it's a bit of a short notice for you guys. But if you do happen to be in Florence when you're listening to this and fancy a whiskey, then come and see us. There's only a few people in my group at the moment, but, you know, hopefully it will grow. So Inca, that doesn't matter. Think of the bands that played to a smattering of people at their gigs and now they're worldwide, like from <laughs> Small Acorns, Mighty Oaks Grow. You stay yeah. strong because it's an amazing idea. Yeah. So we, we're just going to meet up in a whiskey bar, sample some drums and just kind of catch up and see what kind of whiskies people like and that will then give me better ideas on planning the tastings and so on. Inca, I cannot wait to hear all about that and hopefully you'll tell our listeners and fill us in in future episodes. Let's rock. So the lowland whisky region is located in the southernmost parts of Scotland, covering much of the central belt and the south of Scotland, including Edinburgh and the Lothians, Glasgow and the Clyde Valley, the Kingdom of Fife, Ayrshire, Dumfries and Galloway, 
and the Scottish borders. And this is arguably Scotland's most accessible whisky region, if you think of the good travel links from Edinburgh and Glasgow. And the border with England marks the region's southern boundary. There is more distillation in the lowlands than any other Scottish region. This is the home of the blend and the large quantities of green whisky. Mass production was the enemy of the single malt production in the lowlands, with distillers earning the region a bad reputation in the 18th and 19th centuries by flooding the market with poor quality spirit. Already impacted by the rise in popularity of blends, suffering in comparison with the badass highland rivals, lowland malt distilleries were dealt further blows by tax hikes, the First World War and the prohibition in the US. These factors ruined the finances of many distilleries, leading them to close their facilities or refocus on making grain spirit to be combined with Highland and Island malts for the rising number of blended Scotch brands. Thankfully, a few hardy, super stoic lowland distilleries survived the bad times, continuing to produce the gentle, grassy and easy drinking single malts that are the signature style of the region, including Glenkinchy just east of Edinburgh and Ochentoshan on the outskirts of Glasgow, whose triple distilled whisky offers an echo of lowland distillation history. The oldest distillery in the region is Bladnach from 1817. However, there are new rivals too. In fact, 18 distilleries currently in the lowlands and more on the way. For example, we've got Daft Mill in Fife, which began production in 2003, Ailsa Bay on the Clyde Coast, Glasgow Distillery that we love and talk about a lot, Clydeside, Lindor's Abbey, whoop whoop, King's Barn and more. Whiskies from this region are generally considered as the most light-bodied of the single malts. These malts are unpeated and, well, usually unpeated and lighter in nature with a gentle, elegant palate, which makes them easy to drink, especially for those who are new to single malt whiskey. When you enjoy lowland whiskies, look out for malty, zesty flavors with slightly fruity, citrusy, and sometimes floral notes, as well as honeysuckle, cream, ginger, toffee, toast, and cinnamon. As a result, malts from this region have earned themselves a collective nickname of the lowland ladies which i think is rubbish that's a bit cheeky yeah like does it mean that it's the whiskey for women because it's lighter and more delicate or does it mean the whiskey is like because it's lighter and delicate is more like a female you know what i mean yeah yeah Rubbish nickname. Um, although I think, if you, well, if you think of Glasgow Distillery, for example, they are producing peated expression. So like we mentioned before in one of our first episodes where we were talking about all these different regions, that they kind of, they give you some indication of what style of whiskies is coming from this area. But these days, there's so many new distilleries doing their own thing, peated whiskies from lowlands now. And, you know, like... Uh, um, how did you say that? Elsa, 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 Elsa Creek. Yeah. So they, they also do in some quite heavy repeated stuff. So yeah, I think it's an indication. It doesn't mean it's definitely that way. That's it. Because within that one region, there can be so much diversity. What do you think the common, you know, thoughts are towards Lowland whiskey? Do you think it's maybe less sought after in general terms by, you know, maybe people you know, wanting Highland whiskies or from the islands. Yeah, 
I think so. Like maybe these new distilleries are helping to kind of fix that. But I would think, and obviously it's grain heavy and blends and things like that. So already there is kind of, people are a bit iffy about blends sometimes, aren't they? So there's maybe still some stigma there, but I think you're absolutely right. It's the tides turning if that is indeed the case and there's you know distilleries producing some amazing whiskies and and really impressing people yeah but like if you think of the lighter style because personally i don't i'm not a huge fan of the lighter style of whiskies i just maybe in the summer a little bit but it's just not for me so it's maybe that's why also i'm a bit not like lowland friendly although i do love glasgow distillery and some of these new ones so there's more to be explored definitely Whiskey Sisters! And today we're putting Kings Barnes Distillery in the spotlight. And we'd just like to thank Kings Barnes for an amazing bottle that they sent us. Not only that, a branded Whiskey Sisters hip flask. Thank you so much for that. We love it. I know, it's so cool. The Kings Barnes Distillery officially opened on November 2014 with the first casks filled in 2015. One of Scotland's newest distilleries located in the Fife Peninsula and owned by independent bottler Weems. The Scottish Weems family have a long-standing passion for malt whiskey and their connections in the industry date back to the turn of the 19th century. They use a semi-derelict farmhouse as part of the distillery design, built around 1800s as part of East Newell Farm by Thomas Erskine, the ninth Earl of Kelly, this charming Georgian farmsteading once served Campbell House and the estate. The Weems family has strong ties to Scotch and the site of the distillery um, so it was really apt to continue their whiskey journey on this land. So many powerful legacy sort of, you know, succession dynasties, whiskey dynasties, aren't there in Scotland? I know so many. I know, I wasn't sure how you say that name. I was going to say Remus. I'm just copying how you how you pronounce the the place on the west coast called Weems Bay. So hopefully oh. it is the same. Weems, yeah. Wims. So hopefully it's the same. <laughs> if not, a balls. <laughs> I don't think anyone's expecting us to pronounce these names properly. Yeah, yeah we always some questionable pronunciation. We want to we want to stay consistent. <laughs> yeah. The initial idea for the distillery actually came from golf caddy Douglas Clement, and he didn't have anything to do with this family. He raised £100,000 seed capital from 32 investors, many of whom were golfers Clement knew from King's Barns, which enabled him to secure planning permission to transform the farmsteading into a working distillery. But two years of further fundraising through crowdfunding sites and government grants, he still failed to reach the 1.6 million which was needed to actually build the distillery and even when the Scottish government granted him 670,000 pounds in 2012 he still fell short of his target so in January 2013 Weems family heard about this guy trying to build this distillery and because they had the connection to the land where the distillery was going to be yeah they then offered to buy the land and the, the whole project basically from him the guy clement still remains as director of king's barns oh it's good that he's still involved because what like a mission he was on to do all that fundraising that is a lot of money a lot of capital that he gathered i'm pretty sure i saw somewhere that he was kind of thinking that there's no whiskey distilleries too close where he is you've been to st andrews haven't yanka yeah it's super pretty isn't it yeah Mm -hmm. and great fish and chips 
Drum on Fire. Master Blender, Isabella Weems has selected a combination of ex-bourbon and STR shaved, toasted and recharred ex-Portuguese red wine casks to mature Ducot. 90% ex-bourbon American oak barrels and 10% STR American oak barrels and it's bottled at 46% ABV. It's worth saying during the renovations of the old farmstead that began in 2013, efforts were made to restore, not replace many parts of this historic building and one of these was its oldest space, the Ducot, Scottish for Dovecot, which was then given to the name of their first whiskey. That is so nice. I don't know what that means. Is it not? Is Dovecot not where doves would roost? Maybe I've got that totally wrong. Well, that makes sense because I did read that the place used to be like the home of doves and pigeons or some other birds. I've just Googled it and it said a shelter with nest holes for domesticated pigeons. Yeah. So maybe not quite as romantic as the white doves I had in my mind, (laughs) but you know, bless the pigeons. God, why would you want to farm, like, have pigeons? They're like rats, but they fly. Flying rats. Some people eat pigeons. I know. I guess there must be different types. It's not the like ones, your, the ones that we got here on our roof all the time. The ones in Glasgow, they've often got, like, one leg and almost yeah. an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They look rough as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They look like they've had a tough bird life. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Ducot. Um, oh, do color? you think it's Ducot? I'm saying, why do you say it, Inca? Ducot. Ducot. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know because it's D-O-O-C-O-T. Yeah, Ducot. So, yeah, Ducot. Ducot. So color is kind of light golden or like almost kind of yellowy golden. Yeah, I've written apple juice cute. It just was quite yellowy and golden. On the nose, at first, I found it quite oaky and there was a bit like fumes coming. Like, okay. It was quite hard to nose. It felt a bit harsh at first. I was getting some floral honey, some citrus, touch of some sweetness in there as well, like caramel or something. And then I was thinking those kind of, kind of like a coffee cake, you know, like little pieces of hazelnut in it. Oh, you know, yes, those ones? nice. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, definitely, I think it needed more time in the glass. Otherwise, it was quite strong. I maybe shouldn't have done this, but I nosed and sampled mine while sitting outside on a balcony because I was hot. So I didn't get that sense of fumes. But again, it's different, isn't it? Depending on temperature, where you are and all that stuff. I really liked it on the nose. I got like sultana cake that was just out the oven. And as if you had a big old slice of that and you could kind of smell the aromas of the plump, juicy sultanas. And then I was imagining butter melted into the warm cake. So I was getting a buttery sultana cakiness. And then with a bit more air, I was thinking of flowers, but it was making me think of like, you know, a walk in wildflowers, like dandelions have not got a super strong smell. And I've got that in the nose. That's funny. Now that you mentioned the dandelions make sense as well with the butter, doesn't it? Because when yeah. you break it, they that kind of weird liquid liquid but now that you've mentioned the butter and this has been in the glass for a while i'm definitely getting you know that kind of very kind of malty bread like really dark bread yeah um, has kind of quite strong i don't know if it's a little bit rye or what is it it's kind of i don't know where have you eaten this bread in finland Italy, or scotland i definitely in finland but i was Mm -hmm. wondering if i've seen it in in the uk as well it's almost like 
because there's an Irish bread like, called soda bread that's quite like heavy and dense. Yeah, does it make you think of like dark beer or something a little bit? Oh, maybe, yeah. You know, so that kind of bread with that melted butter on top. Oh, good shout. I also got pear drops, boiled sweets. I don't know if you got them in Finland growing up, but like little hard sweet shaped like mm. a pear, tastes like pear. And I wrote berry liqueur, but I'm not, because I'm not that au fait with different liqueurs or berries, I thought. Inca would know, because she's got all the Nordic berry knowledge and all the liqueur knowledge. (laughs) But I just wrote berry liqueur. Mm, Maybe something like raspberries, like really kind of, or cloudberries even, maybe cloudberries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can go with that. But yeah, the nose definitely gets better with the air. Did you enjoy the nose? I'm enjoying it much more now. I love the nose. I was having a party of the nostrils. And how about the palate? Was it a part in your mouth? (laughs) (laughs) It was smooth, soft, quite a little bit of a creamy mouthfeel. But I don't know if that's because I was now then fantasizing about sultana cake with melted butter. I found a nice level of spice, like a spiced ginger and nutmeg. But then actually, as I continued to sip, maybe more of a herbal spice, like a sweet fennel, maybe like anise. And... I wasn't sure what the otherness I was getting. And at first I'm like, is it wedding cake? Is there a wee hint of marzipan? But I think as I kept going back to it, I thought, no, there, for me, there's an oatiness. And hobnob biscuits are kind of like oaty biscuits. Oh, Have you yeah. had them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I had hobnobs on the palate. What about you? Hobnobs can be quite sweet as well, can't they? Yeah, they're quite sweet. Mm. They're quite like a filling biscuit. And they're quite like oaty and delicious. Okay, I didn't do so well at first with this one. Oaky, it was spiced, you know, a lot, lot of cinnamon, maybe even something like paprika. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I felt quite sour. And I was, I even wrote down hairspray, but I don't like, I was kind of like, like thinking, probably not hairspray. <laughs> but you know, when sometimes you spray something strong, like a hairspray or insect repellent or something that goes in your mouth and, and you you're get talking little... and you sort of accidentally inhale it. Yeah, there was something like that a little bit. And then I was getting like a fermented pineapple. Okay. And cider vinegar. Mm. <laughs> kind of. So like, something acerbic and astringent. Yeah, it was definitely something a bit soury, kind of something in there. But I feel like it's slightly, it's not very sweet. I think it's less sweet than I would have imagined on the nose. But I think if I was listening to those two sets of tasting notes, I'd say I want a glass of Jen's, not yours. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There's maybe something like on the finish, maybe a slightly creamy mouthfeel, mm-hmm. like something at the top of your your mouth. You know, when you if you eat whipped cream, for example, and kind of how it leaves your mouth a little bit. It leaves a lingering sensation mm. in the upper palate. But citrusy as well. I found it a wee bit marzipan-y on the finish. And you know, those sweetie cinnamon balls, almost like kind of a sweet spice. Yeah, definitely. And It's interesting you saying about the top of the mouth because, you know, boiled sweets kind of give you that sensation. Like, it's not burny sensation, but something on the upper palate. It's not my favourite, I have to say. Well, I was pleasantly surprised. Not that I had any biases before because I hadn't really thought too much about what to expect. Was it, you know, me sitting on the balcony? 
I'd recently been at yoga. I'm pretty zen, Jen. I was loving the nose. It was getting me excited thinking about baked goods, but I did enjoy it. And I've totally tanned the sample, which is always a good sign for me, as I've mentioned before, because otherwise I've just got loads of bottles of like random samples. That I'm kind of like, <laughs> meh. Yeah, I think it definitely hits the mark of lowland. You're like typical lowland whiskey, I think, because mm-hmm. it is lighter there is something floral on the nose and it's kind of light. What do, you, what do you think? I'm wondering if the red wine cask finish is giving me juiciness that is really suited to my palate. That's the thing. I think because it's only 10% of the casks as well. Yes. So it's very subtle. Lit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I, like, I was expecting, with the experiment, I was somehow expecting it to be sweeter dram. Let me just taste the final bit. Missed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think based on that analysis, I get to keep the bottle of King's Barn. Yeah, yes, definitely. It always works out with us, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact. Glenkinchies, which is probably the most popular of the Lowland distilleries, time as a single malt brand only came in 1998, when it was chosen ahead of Rosebank as the Lowland represent- representative <laughs> within Diageo's classic malt selection. Legend has it that the decision to choose Glenkinchy was because Rosebank was next to a then-closed stagnant canal and therefore not as much of a tourist destination. And that was actually the end of Rosebank until recently when, you know, there's been much more action. But, like, it's so sad. I think it was so, like, touch and go, which one? And it could be now Glenkinchy is one of the most popular distilleries from the area. But it could have been Rosebank. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. We would love to know your favourite Lowland drams. And we would also love to hear from you if you're sipping something else or have suggestions of what we should put in our glass. If you haven't already checked out our social media to see what we were up to a couple of weeks ago at Motley Crew and Def Leppard, have a little look and let us know what music you would pair with your drums as well. Okay, and I should have said, and next week we will be diving back into the peat side. We are going over the sea to sky with two Talisker expressions. Yes, I've been struggling with uh, what to order from Talisker because they have quite a few releases and they all sound delicious. So I asked some help from social media and ordered something that the poll or the most people said that's their favorite it was a close call but i went what the people said so let's see if very exciting again that's you researching through the power of the internet you're edging closer to that doctorate so follow us on instagram at whiskeysisters.podcast twitter at whiskey sisters and facebook at whiskey sisters podcast go forth and commence your whiskey club and car <laughs> Thank you. See you next time. Bye. May your glass be full and your dram on fire. Mm-hmm.